Hi, and thank you for tuning in. You know, I don't know anybody doesn't have a hard time understanding what leadership is about. It has changed in the 21st century. And because it has changed, you know, there's not a lot of information out there that pulls it all together so that you have the steps you need to be the best leader that you can. Leadership is all about influence. And this podcast is about helping you understand how to influence others and to build the collaborative team that provides you the inclusive, high-performing workplace that you are looking for. Whether this is the first job you've had as a leader, whether you're an individual contributor, or you've been in leadership for 30 years, there is something for you on this particular podcast. It's called Remarkable Leadership Lessons, shared by Denise Cooper and her friends. And if you like, you can always go over to my website and pick up other gems that will help you become a remarkable leader. This idea of toxic workplaces is all in the news um, almost every day. There's some form of toxicity. New books are coming out. Coaches are stand, spending a lot of time on it. And even businesses are starting to ask the question, what is this thing called toxic workplace and why does it matter? And so today we're going to take a different tack of not only why it matters, but what does it look like? And also who's responsible, which is an interesting question. Who's actually responsible for the culture in a workplace? Well, let it's not going to be who you think or most people think <laughs> it's going to be. So my guest today is Kimberly Benoit, and um, she is an award-winning leadership and workplace toxicity expert with over 20 years in the corporate business. She now works from, with small uh, nonprofits to Fortune 50 uh, giants such as Target. She's renowned for her book, We've all done it, which she's created a framework from it through which coaches, consultants, and others can learn how to help uh, understand who's really responsible for toxicity in the workplace. She's on a mission. I love women who are on a mission because if when, they, when they're on a mission, they are unstoppable. And with a, a touch of humor, she encourages us to be honest about the role each plays, each of us plays in contributing to the toxic workplace. How are you doing today, Kimberly? I am outstanding. How are you? I am fabulous, fabulous, fabulous. It is a great day. The sun is out and we're pre-tropical storm. So. <laughs> yes, we are. <laughs> See, I thought moving from Southern Louisiana to Virginia was going to get me out of tropical, like, storm territory. And it's following me. I'm so sorry. Oh, I'm you're so the reason. <laughs> I'll own this one. I won't own any more after this one. But I mean, I feel like they're following me. What is going on? <laughs> so, you know, I ask everybody, how did you get, how, what, what fascinates you about workplace toxicity? And how did you get into this? I, it's not that I necessarily started out saying I wanted to focus on like the most toxic people in the world, but I have a fascination with what motivates people to do what they do. Mm. I have always been a people watcher starting from the beginning of my career when I was doing mental health work and I actually started my career as an investigator. So I really have, have a very odd professional path, but where it has landed me is just a tremendous appreciation for 
human behavior and why do we do what we do? Why do we show up the way we do? How do we respond to things? And over the course of my professional career, and particularly my corporate career, and just not only paying attention to myself and kind of doing work on how I was showing up as a leader and showing up as a peer, you just start to see that there are some interesting trends that can either make a team phenomenal mm-hmm. and amazing or can result in a leader who on the surface looks like they should be an amazing leader, but they can't keep people on their team. Mm-hmm. So like, why is that? Mm-hmm. What's happening there? Um And partially why I really got into it is I have been heavily involved in leadership development, creating course content and understanding professional development gaps for leaders. And then how do we really create content and um, skill development so that people can have really productive, engaged teams. And so part of that interest was in what I was constantly seeing, what I was hearing, what I was experiencing, and then saying, all right, what do we want to, like, is there a way we can boil this down a little bit and really start getting people to stop thinking so much externally Mm -hmm. and say, okay, I can't control anything that happens outside of me. Mm -hmm. So why don't we talk about toxicity from the perspective of self? Who are we when we show up in a toxic environment? How are we, what, what is our response? Where do we go? And is that helping or hurting the situation that we're currently in. So, you know, that's part of why I have an interest in it. I just, I'm just naturally curious about people, but it's also this particular thing because it has such a tremendous impact on every single person. We spend so much time at work and it affects our, our mental health. It affects our quality of life. So it just seems like a natural place to, to want to zero in on and really dig in a little bit to figure out how do we make how do we start having better conversations about it? If you're, if it's a new manager listening to my podcast, hey, welcome. Um, or a new employee, welcome. Why should they care? I mean, it, it. I hear you say, as it, what did I contribute? But it really isn't my problem. Oh, it's gonna be your problem if you're a new manager and people aren't happy. Um, it will become your problem mm-hmm. uh, very, very quickly because job. And this is one of the things I think people who aren't in leadership underestimate or or new leaders are usually shocked by Mm -hmm. is that so much of your responsibility in this role is managing people and managing dynamics that are happening on your team and around your team. And so if there are aspects of behavior that are driving something that someone considers toxic or dysfunctional, that is going to become your problem because your team's not going to be performing the way it should And therefore, you're going to really need to care. And also, people don't want to work for a leader who doesn't care about those kinds of things. I don't know any leader that wants to get slapped with the label of toxic. Mm -hmm. Understanding what does that even mean? So maybe we should back up for a second. I get asked the question a lot of what does toxic mean? Mm -hmm. Can you define it for me? And yes, there's a definition in the Webster Dictionary. You can go find it. But the reality is in a workplace, what is toxic is very personal mm-hmm. to people. It's it's um, It really comes down to perspective because we all have a different journey. We all have different baggage we bring into a situation. And it's a leader's job to start to really learn their team. So I have made this analogy and it makes people a little uncomfortable, but it's so true, is that toxic workplaces 
are very similar to the concept of every single one of us has dealt it, felt it, or smelt it in the sense that we have, every single person has been the fun and the dysfunction. We have brought it, whether we intended to or not, we brought it into the room. We have also been the people that have been the recipients of it. And no, we can't control what came at us, but we can't control how we responded to it. So do we know how we respond when crazy comes at us? And then the third is what I call our observers, which fall into two extremes, which are the people who are saying that is not my problem and I don't need to care about it. But depending on your role and your power and your influence, if you say nothing, then that's implicit acceptance of whatever behavior is taking place all the way to the person who this is like their personal trash TV. This is their entertainment. It is their Super Bowl. They are eating that proverbial bucket of popcorn Mm -hmm. because it is entertainment for them. And so they will stir that pot to keep that entertainment going because as long as the entertainment is over there, nobody's paying attention to what you are or are not doing. (laughs) And so, and that's why I say every single person has been one of those three roles or multiple in a situation. So that is why toxic workplaces and toxic behavior matter Mm -hmm. is do you know which role you're playing right now? And is that helping or hurting? the culture that you want on your team. Yeah. And I, I, the reason they love it is because they can see it. Mm -hmm. And the reason they hate it is because they see it and they know they've been in it and they got caught. (laughs) (laughs) Well, because again, like the analogy, we all, we have, we do it. Like you can't, no different, like we have to own the the role we play. Mm-hmm. And, e- and I say this, even if we didn't intend to play the role we ended up playing, mm-hmm. we still have to own that role. But yeah, so whether you brought it to the observer, the even our casual observers, their actions can absolutely influence a situation. Yeah. Um, and so that's why I feel like it's so important people don't say, well, why does this why is this important to me? Mm-hmm. Because you're one of those roles. If you're not in it, then you're an observer. So what power, like what influence do you have as a as a casual observer? Yeah. And I even say that even if you're a casual observer or a person who's on the team and observing it, and as you said before, I don't want to be the object because as long as it's over there, I'm not the object Correct. of that behavior. And therefore, it, you know, I'm safe. And I, and it's all about the creating of the safety in it. Mm-hmm. But I think it's important that even those who are casually observing it find a way to help change the dynamic in it. And that's where reaching out to somebody, asking mm-hmm. a question, a coach, a friend, a mentor, uh, read a book, a podcast, whatever it is can help you learn how to not stir the pot so that we're sitting there eating that popcorn. <laughs> but maybe what what you could do is douse some water on what's going on. And you can Correct. learn the skill of dousing the water on it or cooling it down so that people can once again um, work together. Because I, I know there's, you know, there's lots and lots and lots of signs that say help want it, help want it, help want it, help want it. Yeah. But finding a job and starting all over again does not guarantee that you won't bring the same kinds of problems that you had before, or you've got new ones and they've just got a different cloak on or a different dress on, a different set of shoes on. And you still are going to have because people are going to be people. 
Well, and that's why I always say, do you know how you respond when crazy is brought to you? Because we, we, and we, each of us have our own natural response styles based on our histories, based on our experiences. And you have to know, you know, do you immediately go into fight mode? And if you do, like, then how do you start to work on yourself a little bit so that if you're getting feedback you don't agree with, that in your mind is personal, it's a personal attack. How do you then change your natural inclination to just charge back? You know, there, there's things we can own about how we ourselves and how do we get better in situations that make us uncomfortable in situations that challenge us good or bad. How do we, how do you want to show up? You know? And so I agree with you. It, the grass isn't always greener. Yeah. Um, and if you see a cycle happening where everywhere you go, the same kinds of stuff happen, that's a good indicator. You might need to take a pause and reflect on the, that exact question is how do I show up? Yeah. What do, and what am I bringing with me that might be creating some dynamics that I don't intend to create? Mm-hmm. Um, because for instance, I'll give you a perfect example. You may not care that when you're talking to your boss, they're on their phone answering text messages or sending emails or something like that. To another person, that is highly offensive mm-hmm. because you're not engaging with me. You're not listening to me. Mm-hmm. Your attention is somewhere else. Mm-hmm. And if you do that every single time I come into your office to talk mm-hmm. with you about something that's important to me, that in my mind, it makes you a really crappy leader mm-hmm. because you don't care about what I have to say. You're too busy looking at your phone. But isn't it the same way if you're the leader and you come up to an employee and they're doing the same thing? Correct. So the behavior absolutely matters. But again, each person, because I always am fascinated by when I meet people mm-hmm. and I will hear this leader was the best leader I've ever had. And then someone else will tell me this is the absolute worst leader I've ever had. Mm-hmm. And it's the same person. They're leading at the exact same time with the exact same behavior. And that's where it comes down to what is toxic to a person is very much dependent upon what the behavior is that is offensive mm-hmm. to them in some way, shape or form. So, you know, when you explain it like that, there's so many things that can fall into it. This whole conversation of, you know, millennials versus Gen Xers and, and Gen Zs and the, whatever the next one is after that, of, you know, they're always on their phone. They, you know, we were latchkey Mm -hmm. kids. We did everything. You don't want (laughs) to work. You know, you're quiet quitting. I mean, all of those things are offensive to somebody in the conversation because they're really Mm -hmm. othering, you know, pointing the finger at you. You're the problem. Yeah. Versus my perception. Yeah. Has I'm generalizing you and putting you in a bucket based on my perception of who you are around your, in this case, it's about age. Yes. Generational differences are definitely huge. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think you tapped on something that I think is really important is when we're looking at and coming into a situation that's really messy, that we don't feel good about. It's an interaction with a person. You may not want to say it's dysfunctional. You can call it, um, you may not want to talk to you. I want to say it's dysfunctional. It could be chaotic. Uh, but what I often find is, is one, people create stories and narratives. And frequently, we always, and I say this, we either want to be the full hero or we want to be the full victim. And so in those moments when you're having that, so instead of saying they just don't want to work, 
because I've heard that one a lot. Or the other one I've heard particularly around younger generations, um, a common one I hear is they just want to, they just want to be promoted really fast. And I always ask the question, have you ever asked them why? Like, have you Mm -hmm. had a conversation about this narrative you have? Mm Mm-hmm. Because when we start to generalize people, that's danger. You don't want to be stereotyped. Mm-hmm. Like we're, I, by how I look or by my age, we're all very different. Mm-hmm. So I would rather somebody just ask me a little more and be a little curious about who I am as a person and challenge the narrative in my mind. So the same thing about like the example I gave with somebody always on their cell phone. There may be a little legitimate reason why they need to be on their phone. Mm-hmm. I don't instead of sitting there and simmering over it, assuming they hate me because mm-hmm. they never want to give me attention. Again, why don't I take ownership in that moment and say, "Hey, I really could use your attention right now. Would you prefer me to come back at a different time mm-hmm. when I can have your full attention?" Mm-hmm. So the the thing that I w- would love people to start doing when they feel like they're in a toxic place is start recognizing how they are showing up mm-hmm. and what actions are you taking that are helping it or hindering it. One of the things I like to say is is how much fun are you bringing to the dysfunction? You know, are you sitting there in a story and you're just getting angrier and angrier versus like productively asking a question for what you need? Mm -hmm. Not like aggressively, like you don't need to attack anybody, but are you like, is your communication style very defensive, very aggressive? And then immediately, like, do you know yourself in this moment? Right. right. How do do you know? Do you know how you show up? Mm -hmm. Um, Do you immediately just shut down and don't say a thing? Well, that's mm-hmm. not solving anything. Coming out like a bear doesn't solve anything. Mm-hmm. Um, and just sitting and cr- like letting that story evolve into this part, like this dynamic of like you're in the ring together and you're just boxing it out. It just yeah. it doesn't, it's not as productive as it could be. Um, but I think that's where we have to become very curious about each other. Yeah. You mentioned there were some trends that you started noticing. One of the ones that uh, I feel very common is very, very common um, when people talk about, I think my boss, particularly like my leader is really dysfunctional is they will claim the per- the boss has a favorite mm. and that that favorite gets special treatment. Mm-hmm. And, um, and again, I'm not saying that they don't have favorites because um, it happened. I mean, we are people, we are social beings. We spend a lot of time together. Um, but the question I always ask is, is ha- like, so if they have a favorite, if you think they have a favorite, what are you doing? How are you behaving in that? Like, how do you show up? You know, are you asking questions? But it's the perception, again, from a leadership, like, because that's something I think leaders probably don't really pay as much attention to mm-hmm. is the idea of if somebody thinks you have a favorite, they're going to look for everything that validates that mm-hmm. that person is your favorite. Yeah. Um, including things like, are you engaging with them on social media? Um, do they seem to get preferential treatment on projects or work? Do they get um, more of your time? They get more of your time, your attention, your the rewarding behaviors, mm-hmm. recognition for things. Um, that's one that comes up a lot mm-hmm. is there's a favorite who is not held to the same standard or same accountability as the rest of the team. That one comes up quite frequently, actually. Mm-hmm. One that's very similar to this, but it's not generational, but it's the one that sneaks up a bit is particularly related to people who are single or child-free okay. and the assumptions we make about work. So I have heard people because, um, 
as you've commented, I wrote a book and so it's in there, but in this chapter actually got a lot of response from people. And in a weird way, because I used, I don't like to use this word because like even this word is the word trigger, but there was a lot of emotional response to the chapter. It's called where are my single people at? Mm -hmm. And it's how we as leaders will make assumptions Mm -hmm. about our team based on whether or not they're, they're coupled with someone, they're married, they're not married. Um, whether they're child-free or they have a family. Um, comments made as such as, well, you can take on this extra work because you don't have anybody waiting at home for you. Oh, or, that's a good one. hey, he really needs this promotion because he's got a family to support and you're single. Like you have more time. You'll get, the, you know, it'll come back around for you. You're going to get the next opportunity. Mm-hmm. But he really needs this because he's mm-hmm. like a sole provider for his family. Mm-hmm. And so- There's just things like that one really sets off again, because there's assumptions. Um, The one thing that has become very clear is people only share what they want to share at work. Um, As much as like some companies want to say, we're all a big family. Yeah. We're really not. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds great. Boy, that's a great like seller or whatever. But the truth is, is if you need to lay me off, you're going to lay me off. Yeah. You're not firing your, you know, you're not, you're not, well, I mean, it's not like you can't, but I mean, like, you're not normally going to fire your family member. So there's, so there's this dynamic of you want people to feel like they're family and they're bought in. And, um, but the reality is, is people have very complex lives. They may not feel comfortable sharing them um, completely who they are. You know, I know there's a huge DEI push throughout, mm-hmm. you know, our world, but that doesn't mean people still are a hundred percent comfortable showing up as their full authentic selves. Mm-hmm. Um, and so unless you ask questions and again, have that curiosity, you can't make assumptions just based on what you know, because what you know may only be a small percentage of who that person really is and what's going on in that person's life. So what if you or a new manager or, or a new executive that comes into an organization. And, you know, there's there's this kind of behavior that you're describing, but the team is dysfunctional or the maybe the organization mm-hmm. is dysfunctional. So, yeah. you know, little things like um, it could be you're not on time for meetings. They don't start on time. They don't end on time. It mm-hmm. could be that when people are on the Zoom, it's really okay for you to be triple tasking. I, I know they're doing more than multitasking. <laughs> they're they're triple and quadruple tasking. <laughs> well, especially if that meeting could have been an email, you know for sure those people are triple tasking. Yes, so, yeah. yes, yes, yes. And or, you know, uh, don't don't show up. You know, they don't turn their cameras on, those yeah. kinds of things, which for some people in their head, it, it's it's very rude and it opens mm-hmm. yourself up to so many assumptions of what well, then, you know what, you're really not listening. You're probably doing the dishes. You're probably taking care of, you know, some game on your computer, those kinds of things. Cause you, cause otherwise, why wouldn't you? And it's usually because somebody's embarrassed because they didn't comb their hair that morning or something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And people will say, we don't really care, but the reality is, is yeah, we do care. Okay. <laughs> Well, so so all of that comes down to, and and if I could give any advice to a new leader coming in, is one, don't come in guns a blazing and decide you're just going to change a bunch of stuff. Like mm-hmm. I encourage people to always move very slowly in a new role and really take an opportunity to learn your team, learn the culture, and then learn the culture that 
really exist. So understand like what they say is what's happening, but then really understand what's actually going on. Mm-hmm. Like, because I, my favorite is always like, you know, it's, it's, you know, you put your values and your mission are plastered on the wall and that's great. Yep. And that's what you, in theory, that's who, what you aspire to. That's hopefully what the co- the company is. But the truth is there's a subculture that people don't talk about. And depending on teams and divisions, you can have sub subcultures too. Mm-hmm. So take time to learn your team, mm-hmm. learn what's going on with your people, learn your people first and foremost, take, take time to really figure that out. And I'm not saying a year, but I'm saying take some moments to really sit back, listen and observe. And then when you decide to take action on things, so that's a perfect example, like um, set, set standards and then hold people accountable to the standards. Mm-hmm. So if you want meetings to start on time, then you need to show up on time. And then you need people who don't who don't show up, then what is the accountability if they don't? Mm-hmm. What is what is the repercussions if people are not living up to the standard you're creating? And then how do you be consistent with it? Mm-hmm. Because that's where immediately your culture and your reputation is going to fall apart is if you set some standards and you don't live up to them mm-hmm. and you don't hold people equally accountable. You are setting the tone for the people with you that you lead. So you can choose what tone you want to set, mm-hmm. but just make sure whatever tone that is, you're willing to live up to it. Mm-hmm. You don't you need to be genuine and authentic in that. And you also need to be able to hold your team accountable to whatever that standard is you're trying to create. So it really becomes important that if you're going to be a leader, one of the things I say is leadership is hard to implement, but easy to understand. There are four things you have to do. One is you have to set the vision. What is the goal? When mm-hmm. it's done, what does it look like? How do you know it looks like that? Two, mm-hmm. you got to manage resources, time, attention, and money. Three, you got to follow up. And then um, four is you got to ensure follow through. Mm-hmm. So if you set a standard, which is the goal, yep, then you got to follow up and ensure that everybody follows through with it. And that's the piece that I think is most difficult for leaders Oh, um, yeah. And so this idea, I, I, I don't well, know. Because they don't want to be the bad lot. guy. There you go. The That's guy. exactly right. <laughs> and I'm like, what and do you think leadership is? Yeah, they avoid that conflict. I don't want to be the mommy. I don't want to be the daddy. I don't, you know, I, what? No, I didn't sign up for that. I The first three, okay, maybe. But I... yeah, welcome to leadership. <laughs> hey, hate to break it to you. Because guess what? The minute your team doesn't perform, you are responsible. Mm -hmm. So that is part of it is you have to be the bad guy. You know, one of the things I tell new leaders, because I love working with emerging leaders, like people before they get into it, Mm -hmm. um, because so many get into it and they're like, I didn't realize this is what it was. Mm -hmm. And so I think part of our responsibility is to help prepare people for what leadership really is versus some imaginary idea of it is that, I don't think everybody should love you all the time if, you know, because part of your job is to make sure you're holding people accountable Mm -hmm. and that you're setting a standard and that people are, as you said, are living up to it. And sometimes people are going to get frustrated when you call them out on what they are not doing. Mm -hmm. And there's a way to do it that is professional and respectful and not like vindictive, because that's also part of what you need to learn as a leader is how to hold people accountable in a way that does not create hostility and division on the team. 
you know, like you don't do it in front of other people. Like that's what, like you don't call people out necessarily. You don't do it publicly is that there's just ways to do it. And so how to do that is important. Um, but that's the piece that ultimately I think people probably would label as the most just like when you start getting into like, I, why I hated that leader, why I would never want to work with that person again is because they didn't treat people with respect in whatever was most important to them. And they didn't keep people, they didn't maintain accountability. And I'm surprised that, um, because one of the things I find is, especially in this holding people accountable uh, point of view, is that many of the programs or many of the the things that you see on, you know, internet, if you Google conflict management, et cetera, it always talks about it being a one-time event. So I just talk to you and the person suddenly shapes up. I don't know how that, I don't know how we think that happens, um, but I'm always fascinated with, you know, you have to be clear, you have to set the standard, you have to, and you think that's it. And and it it negates the fact that we're really emotional beings. So Mm -hmm. if I hear criticism, uh, you know, each person is going to hear and feel the criticism differently. But Correct. for a leader or another person who's giving feedback, in your mind, it might not be criticism, but in the mind of the other person, it's generally going to be criticism because you're asking them to do something that they didn't think about. And so to not mm-hmm. admit that there's going to be an emotional reaction and you might have to in the middle of it, because one of the things I tell uh, my leaders and people is if the person is acting out in the moment or you see that they have shut down and aren't listening. Yeah, it's okay to say, you know what, I think you need some time to um, absorb this. And then I really want to have a full conversation. Let's get back and have this conversation later to allow the person to to let their body and their humanity kind of show up a little bit. Mm -hmm. But it's the thing that nobody really talks, or I shouldn't say nobody, it's rarely talked about. And it's even more rare in teaching classes. Oh, God, yeah. It's the... And this is probably the worst analogy, but like I often think about like when you feel personally attacked, because that's what is happening is that person feels like they're being attacked in some way. The the emotional takeover is almost equivalent to a tantrum. Like mm-hmm. I'm not listening to you because what that person is now doing is immediately thinking about what they're going to say to retaliate. Like what is their comeback? What is their excuse? What is their defense? They're not listening to you anymore. Mm-hmm. And so I completely agree with you. I, one of the pieces of advice I give to people when they find themselves getting emotionally dug into something is you need to take a moment to l- release the emotion because otherwise that emotion is going to drive everything you do and you probably are not going to show up as the person you want to be. So if it's anger, if it's fear, um, if it's hatred, Whatever it is, that is going to inform. And quite honestly, the person on the other side of you is going to feel it. And um, particularly in with a leader, because I've seen this happen too, where the person you're giving feedback and the person starts attacking you and then the leader starts attacking back. And so it, it it's a one-upmanship and that's not productive at all. And if anything, that, that dynamic is now, the damage done is pretty significant and the repair if it's possible, is going to take a lot of time and commitment to make that better. That's um, a great lead into, okay, now I've got this mess because I didn't know. Yeah. And most of the time is I don't know. Yeah. What's one or two things I can do to move the ball closer to a place where we have trusting, trust in the work and 
that we're moving towards what looks like a less toxic environment. So the so a couple things, and and again, this is very. Per, I'm going to take it from a personal standpoint. So if you were a leader and you know you're caught in the cycle, mm-hmm. you're in it. To quote, to quote Renee Brown, you are armored up and you are in that arena and you are <laughs> going at it. Like you know that you you are aware enough to know you're in it. Mm-hmm. Um, the first thing I tell people to do is I they need to go find somebody to vent. Mm-hmm. Now, not somebody on your team. Um, preferably I say like a mentor, if you have a coach that you use, preferably somebody that's not attached to it, Mm -hmm. right. That doesn't necessarily have a vested income, but somebody you can go and just say the awful things that are in your head, the less flattering things you're thinking and feeling Mm -hmm. and go get that out, just release it. Um, so that way it's not just festering in your mind and continuing to play over and over like a like some TikTok video that just never gets off your phone, right? Right, right. Allow it to be vented. And then what I encourage people to do is to sit down and it could be with the same person, it could be a different person. But again, someone that is not involved in that dynamic is to have someone challenge your thinking, someone you absolutely trust to really listen to what you the story you want to tell. So what are you what what is the story? And then allow them to ask you very challenging questions about the narrative you have, because that's the first step in allowing you maybe to see a different perspective. Mm -hmm. So it's forcing you to kind of get out of your own eyesight and see it maybe to see it from a somewhere someone else's perspective. And then a lot of times it's going to challenge what you have done, Mm -hmm. what you have said, because until you can understand and acknowledge the fun that you have created in this dysfunctional environment. Um, or as I joke and I say, because we always bring everybody brings some bu- some BS to this buffet. Oh, you can acknowledge openly how you have helped escalate this na- this this nastiness. Mm-hmm. You're not going to be able to even start to think about how do you move beyond it, mm-hmm. because part of what you're going to have to do is if you really want to salvage that relationship, is you're going to have to go to the person that is you're battling with the most, and have and be able to own it. And and this is a really hard thing for leaders because I feel like so many leaders think it makes them look weak. But the truth of it is, is that's the start of saying, you know, I understand we don't have a good relationship. I want to own my part in this. Mm -hmm. And I want to tell you where I feel like I have failed Mm -hmm. in making this a a, a healthy, safe space Mm -hmm. for you to be in partnership with me or what or on my team and own your stuff. Because that allows the other person to see it's not all a personal attack because that challenges their narrative out of the gate of, well, they just hate me Um, because that's usually what you hear from people. Oh, my boss just hates me. Mm -hmm. right? They just hate me. They don't care about me because immediately you're shifting the dynamic to say, no, I've made some mistakes. I will own my mistakes. And here's what I would like to talk with you about how we can move forward together. Again, because you're not, you you can't control whether or not they're going to own anything. You're not going to control. But what you can control is about how you want to behave in that moment and what you want to commit to going forward as a leader. As a person who is bringing this up. Mm -hmm. Because anybody can use that technique. I I use a similar technique. I always ask, okay, so what's the story in your head? This is, And they give all the ugliness. And then I say, and what else could be true from that other person's point of view? Or if somebody was watching, what story would they write about this? And then help them come down that, oh, wait a minute, maybe there's something else. 
And I think the hardest part is coming back, like you said, and saying, look, we're not where we need to be to work together. And I want to own some part of this. And this is what I think I own out of it. And hoping that the person will take a cue and mirror what you're doing instead of just going, oh, yeah, that's exactly right. And if you didn't do all those things, da, 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 da. Well, and again, going back to something you said, you have to allow some grace Mm -hmm. in the moment because that person is probably expecting you to come guns a blazing. And so they may need some time to ingest what you've said and to be able to come back with that statement because they may not be in a place of self-awareness to understand what they have owned as well. You know, and again, this is why trying to be as consistent as you can be with how you talk to, how you treat, how you, your, um, your work standards, like how do you assess performance? What conversations do you consistently have around what is going well? What gaps exist? What needs to happen next? You know, as much as you can maintain some consistency, particularly from a leadership standpoint, that helps you stay a little more stable. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and going back to something you said, the questions you asked, that's why I usually encourage people to work with coaches or work with a mentor that's been around a bit um, because they will ask those questions differently. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, one of the ones I like to say is if I were talking to the other person, what would they say? What would they tell me? Yeah. You know, what, what, what story would they tell? What what story would I get from them? That's a great one. Um, And because again, you're forcing that person now to get out of their shoes Mm -hmm. and to step into a different perspective. Mm -hmm. And so often, and and I want to say this, like, there's no judgment here. Mm -hmm. I have been the worst version of myself. So I like to remind people there is zero judgment. I have been the burnout leader who torched the ground around me. You know, I have been the leader who thought I was saying the right things. And in hindsight, realized, wow, that was really insensitive. Mm-hmm. But in the moment, I thought I was doing the right thing. Mm-hmm. It's the important part is just to take that step back and really ask yourself, Can I, could I have done that better? If I were to do this, if this situation were to come at me again, what would I change? Mm-hmm. Would I say something differently? Would I change how I, an action I took? Would I want to approach my whole team differently mm-hmm. so that a standard was created so that way I didn't feel I was on such slippery ground with one person versus maybe other parts of my team? Mm-hmm. But I, I, the biggest thing I, I encourage people is you cannot grant forgiveness or grace to another person until you can grant it to yourself. Yeah. And you have to be able to say, forgive yourself for this, the less than stellar things you've done. But to, in order to do that, you have to actually do the work to acknowledge that you've done them in the first place. Mm-hmm. And understand what you've done. And the impact that it has. Because it's not just that one person. People are always watching you. It's kind of like you said, you know, people are always watching. Mm -hmm. Whether you think they are or not, they're watching to decide if you are a good leader or are you somebody they want to work with, want to work for. People even watch to find out what's acceptable or not acceptable in a workplace. So if you're torching and burnout, yeah. And people under people will assume that torching and being burnout are expected behaviors, mm-hmm. particularly for leaders in an organization. So always you're role modeling exactly what is going to you're going to get. 
So another one, we talk about trends. So one of the ones that also comes up when we talk about boundaries, and this also ties into generational as well, is the leaders who would say, you don't have to work crazy hours, but you get emails from them at midnight and one o'clock in the morning. And they're like, no, 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 but you don't have to do that. That just was what works for me. But you start to notice that that's what all of the leaders at a certain level do. And the implicit message you have now sent is in order to succeed, that's a behavior that you're going to have to emulate. Mm -hmm. So even subtle little things, basic little things like that matter. All your little actions matter in the message you're sending of, do, do, you know, do I live by what I say? Um, Do I follow the standard that I set for you? You know, I, I, a very quick story, um, and because this is a perfect example of what we're talking about, is I had been sick for a really long time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this is awful, and I didn't even know. Like my boss came in, and um, and we had like an open environment, but I had a like my had a huge had a team of analysts, and um, I had been sick for a while. My boss came in and sat down, and in a very maternal way, which was not normal, and she just asked me very calmly how long I had been sick. And I was like, oh, I don't know. She's like, no, 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 count. And this was obviously pre-pandemic. As if you're coughing and sneezing and stuff now, like they send you home immediately. But this was pre that. And it it had been like, it would. I was in week two mm-hmm. of it. Mm-hmm. And she said, so if you, if this were one of your team members, mm-hmm. what would you have done? And immediately I knew, right? It was like, you know, smack on the forehead, if you will. And I said, well, I would have made them go home last week. I would have told them they need to go to urgent care or something, but they need to go take care of themselves. And she's like, so what example are you setting right now? How are you leading in this moment? Mm-hmm. And um, and I, you know, it was it was a hard lesson because, you know, you we are working so hard mm-hmm. to get stuff done. And this is why I have so much grace and so much forgiveness for people. I didn't intend to create a bad example. Mm-hmm. I was just showing up trying to make sure we met our goals, we met our deliverables. Um, but my boss basically made me, I had to close up and I had to leave immediately. And I was to go to urgent care and I was not allowed. She did let me bring my laptop, but she said if she saw me online, there'd be trouble. So I was to not log on for the rest of the day. And she just kept hammering home. What example are you trying to set for your team? And so like, that's a perfect example. Like how many of people have like just powered through in a moment that they should have taken care of themselves. Like the work is still going to be there. My team would have been fine without me, Mm -hmm. but I just was so lost in the grind that I stopped paying attention to the larger landscape. And so that's what my encouragement is to people is it doesn't make you a bad person. Just sometimes we have to remember to step out of the grind a little bit. Mm-hmm. and make re- regain some perspective of the larger landscape. Mm-hmm. Oh my goodness. So where can people get your book? We've all done it. Um I it's you can go it's on Amazon or in Barnes and Noble. Yeah. Um but you can also go to my website kimberlyjbenoit.com. Um and there you can find all the things about me and I have a podcast as well related to the same topic. Um where we really challenge I have challenge leaders to talk about mistakes they've made. Mm -hmm. Um, because I want to make it a safe space for people to admit like, cause again, we all have done it. It's just, I don't think we talk about it enough Mm -hmm. to humanize it enough so that people can feel safe in saying, how do I, how do I, how do we humanize the mistake Mm -hmm. 
mm-hmm. so that we can then actually learn from it and move forward from it. Um, but yeah, you can find me there. And if you head over there, um, I currently have something you can sign up for, which is the three secrets to a highly engaged team. And let me tell you, if you're a new leader, engagement is incredibly important to a yep. healthy, productive team. Like that, it's the core of what will make make or break you mm-hmm. as a leader. So I hope people go and take advantage of that. Oh, and we love the word free. So thank you very much for making the <laughs> offer on this. Hey, guys, I really encourage you to um, follow Kimberly. She has some great stuff. She, Of course, she's all on social media, etc. But go over to her website. Because this idea of stepping into the poo without even knowing that we did it, yeah, we bring, you know, whatever we're getting, we brought it and we have a role in it is one that pick your technology or your things about it from emotional intelligence to your ability to have great conversations that change the game, whether you're a change agent, all of those things. This idea of self-examination and then being able to come up with what am I going to do different is really an important leadership skill for every one of us. Thank you so much, Kimberly. Thank you for having me. Well, as I said before, this is a wrap. Hey, thank you so much for following me. And if you really, really want to make things better and help me get the word out, please go like this wherever you're listening to your podcast. Follow me on LinkedIn, Instagram, and Twitter. All of that's in the show notes. And for doing that, go to my website and click on the uh, network and you'll be able to get some free gifts that will help you figure out how to be the best leader that you can be. As I always say, if you like it, share it. If you don't like it, share it, because I guarantee it will definitely help you become the most remarkable leader you can be.